0: Welcome to the MD Anderson Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Malki Assad, and today we have two of our graduating fellows, Dr. Jesse Yu and Dr. Stefanos Bukavales, to discuss their microsurgery fellowship experience at MD Anderson. Dr. Yu completed her plastic surgery training at New York University and Dr. Bukavales finished his plastic surgery training at the University of Texas Medical Branch. Before we start talking about the details of your microsurgery fellowship experience here at MD Anderson, I would like to ask you about your expectations that you had prior to coming here and how would that meet with the actual reality? And we can start with Dr. Yu.
1: Um, You know, as somebody who did 13 years of training in New York City, um, I think I had a lot of preconceived notions about um, the world outside of New York as well as um, what I'd heard about MD Anderson. Certainly, the reason that I applied to MD Anderson was a no-brainer. We're the number one microsurgical program in the nation um, with probably one of the most uh, diverse and broad uh, experiences in cancer reconstruction, which was my primary passion. Um, so my uh, preconceived notion was that this would be a, a major center um, with a high volume of you know, complex cancer reconstruction cases. Um, as far as Texas and Houston, um, I would say that all of my preconceived notions, including that only country music would be played in the operating room, were proved to be false in the end. Um, but I did really love uh, the transition after all. Dr.
0: Cavales, any thoughts about that?
2: Well, um, as a European, um, I, I did have certain, uh, I guess, expectations uh, and uh, thoughts about Texas, but uh, I did all my training, plastic surgery training here. So... Um, before even applying for a microsurgery um, fellowship, I was very familiar with the location, of course. Um, and actually, my my plastic surgery program had a formal rotation built in at MD Anderson. So uh, my experience was uh, slightly different because I had experienced the MD Anderson um, training and uh, um, I guess everyday practice uh, from the inside I, I rotated and uh, even though I interviewed obviously uh, widely for my micro fellowship applications um, actually that solidified that 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 was the right place for me and to pursue my fellowship um, and I think that actually two-day interview is important because all the applicants get to meet uh, um, the, the fellows, the current fellows and all the faculty. And I think that was a relatively unique experience in the, even as from an, an interview uh, perspective, because I think um, even people that uh, applicants that didn't get the chance to rotate through in the Anderson, I think they got a very good understanding of um, what to expect, um, uh, through that two-day interview process, so I think this is definitely critical for decision making, and uh, gives a very good um, idea of uh, how reality is um, versus expectations without knowing exactly the details prior to starting.
1: Absolutely. Just to piggyback off of Stephanos's response, I say I would say that the interview day really opened my eyes to um, just what a Big experience and a great program MD Anderson would be. And that day I felt that um, even whatever expectations I had coming in, uh, everything was exceeded just to get a sense of the, the volume of faculty, the types of cases that we're doing, um, and also the size of the institution alone. Um, it, everything is truly bigger in Texas. Um, but I think overall, the the chance to understand the program through the interview process really gave us some granularity and how this, the biggest hospital here for cancer care runs um, and how we fit into that picture.
0: Excellent. Dr. Yu. I would like to ask you about the number of cases and free flaps you did here as a fellow and the volume of cases that fellows generally have.
1: Sure, of course. Um, Again, like I was saying before, I picked MD Anderson because I knew this would be the offer the biggest um, experience in terms of cancer reconstruction volume compared with any other program that's out there, um, not just in numbers, but also in diversity. So um, in thinking about my case choices this year um, and which free flaps, uh, I would prioritize um, gaining experience in, I really sought out, you know, the most complex cases, I sought out lymphedema, I sought out head and neck. Um, And so I think the overall flap numbers that uh, count both lymphovenous bypass lymphedema cases in addition to traditional free flap cases, um, I ended up with about 115 flaps. Um, Overall, though, I ended up, if you counted all the cases I did, because Um, Some of the bigger cancer reconstruction cases, while not free flaps, um, were cases that I rarely had the chance of experiencing in residency. Um, So I ended the year with about over 220 cases, um, with about 69 of them being non-free flap cases. Um, About 22 of these cases were my primary clinical specialist cases. um, and uh, it's all sort of rounded out the free flap experience.
0: That's impressive. So, following up on the volume of cases, Dr. Bucovales, can you please give us an idea about the type of cases that you encountered during your fellowship, and what type of reconstructions do fellows usually do?
2: Of course. Well, I will start uh, by saying that, there is actually some flexibility, uh, and I'm um, again following up on what Jesse just mentioned. That um, there is some flexibility in terms of what cases its fellow is in, more interested in. Um, so um, this can be tailored based on personal interests, of course. But um, I can just give you a sense of what I did and what I uh, pursued. Um, and I did 45% of my flaps were head and neck flaps, um, and I thought that was a great experience because um, we we get to do not only the more common ones like an ALT or fibula, but um, many other more rare flaps. So that gave me really the confidence to harvest literally almost every flap um, that you could think. Um, 35% of my cases were breast and lymphedema. And there was a 20% of cases that were uh, either combined orthopedics or neurosurgery or some sort of complex surgical oncology related defect. Um, in fact, I will I will tell you that except for, uh, apart from the um, more common cases that we do, like deep flaps, um, ALTs, fibulas, radial forearms. Um, I counted kind of the more rare ones, and um, I did six pap flaps, six lateral arms, uh, four ulnar perforator flaps, three iliac crests. I did two supercharged genomes for sphageal reconstruction. Uh, I did several bilevel lymph node transfers with free omentum and mesenteric lymph nodes. Um, I did one free tibia for um pelvic reconstruction, two fillet flaps for hemipelvectomies, uh, five pediatric cases, including a shoulder reconstruction with a proximal fibular uh, flap, including the seal plate, uh, and four TMR cases. So uh, that just shows that it's not only the uh, volume, but it's definitely variety and complexity of cases that was really unique, uh, at least my personal experience.
0: That's great. So there is a wide variety of cases, and fellows can tailor the cases they want to go to based on their interests.
1: Yes, absolutely. I would 100% agree with um, what Stephanos described. And I think the, the faculty are also extremely receptive to accommodating fellows in cases that uh, may not be a traditional free flap, but is an area of interest. Like what Stephanos mentioned, the targeted muscle re work that Dr. Rabot is primarily doing, um, working on complex orthopedic cases like hemipelvectomies, both internal and external, um, requiring you know a reconstructive plan that can range from a local flap to a free flap and a free fillet, um, whatever our interests were and whatever cases were available, it was both congenial and working together with the other fellows to you know tailor to everybody's preferences. Um, and also to tailor to the attendings.
2: And I will say, um, just a last comment on that, that um, sometimes even though we knew that it would be a free flap, um, faculty is also very receptive on, you know, what we think is the best way also to reconstruct the defect. So there would be like a very open and uh, uh, discussion and sometimes, even if there are some times that you can use uh, more than one flaps. And if there was a preference from a fellow standpoint, obviously, if it was still the optimal way to reconstruct the defect, then faculty would be willing to either even change their plan or just try something new and uh, find the best, not only the best solution for the problem in terms of patient care, but also from an educational standpoint.
0: Awesome. Doctor, can you please talk a little bit about the fellows' autonomy and how involved are fellows in the cases?
1: Of course. I think, you know, maybe this circles back to a little bit of what my expectations versus what reality turned out to be. Um, I came from a residency program where we very much emphasized resident autonomy. Um, and in the chief years, we were operating quite independently. Um, and coming to MD Anderson, I was a little nervous about the level of autonomy that would be afforded to fellows. Um, And at the end of the day, I actually think that the way the fellowship is designed and the uh, familiarity these attendings frankly have with working with fellows um, who are hungry and excited um, to learn these complex cases and perform them, um, we strike a very nice balance here in the fellowship. Um, Part of the autonomy obviously comes with time um, and with uh, establishing yourself as a fellow in the program. But I think once the attendings got to know you and know, you know, your skill level and also um, see you in a couple of cases, the level of autonomy definitely increased throughout the year. Um, Certainly, it was variable based on the complexity of the case and the type of free flap. and the additional uh, part of the fellowship that I think is very unique um, and augments your experience of autonomy is in addition to your free flap cases, um, for many of the incoming fellows, becoming a clinical specialist is an option. Um, and uh, as as I went on in my year, I really appreciated the clinical specialist track in both one allowing me to perform non-free flap plastic surgery cases that were both bread and butter and, you know, areas that I wanted to refresh my skills, um, from residency, and then other segments of, um, plastic surgery where I wanted to better prepare myself for independent practice after fellowship. So I was able to take on a good number of both complex pelvic and abdominal wall reconstructions. Um, I did a a large number of breast cases. I even did some local tissue rearrangement and, uh, Uh, Small flaps for um, the face after Mohs resection, including bilobe and um, uh, nasal reconstruction. And then finally, I did have uh, the chance to do a free flap as a clinical specialist. Um, And in the situation where a free flap candidate comes along and you're a clinical specialist, all you need to do as a fellow is find one of the attendings to be a supervising attending for the case. Um, In my case, I did a bilateral pap free flap. Uh, for breast reconstruction on a patient, and I had Dr. Chu, BR supervising, um, attending. I worked with another fellow, but that case, the pre-op, the intra-op planning, the microsurgery portion of the case, and the post-op follow-up, up down to the level of her fat grafting um, at three months after her initial surgery, um, I was the driving force, and uh, in my patients' eyes, I was the attending for her. Um, So I think, you know, autonomy is something that we after finishing at least six years, if not more uh, years of residency training, everybody's hungry for, I don't think it's something that is lacking in this program. But as in uh, any new experience, it does take some investment um, and take some time to warm up. But I think that there's plenty of opportunity for autonomy. It's a matter of um, seeking it out and proving yourself.
0: That's great, thank you for the detailed information. Dr. Bukovales, can you share with us a little bit about the call schedule during the fellowship?
2: Of course, so the call schedule is split among the nine fellows, um, eight fellows are plastic surgery trained fellows, one is a head and neck fellow that we're all sharing the same uh, responsibilities and um, and duties and assignments. And there are always two, up to three rotating residents from Baylor, Uh, UT Houston and UTMB from Galveston. Um, So that creates a pretty large pool of um, residents and fellows that uh, uh, cover the call. Um, That breaks down to um, basically taking primary call one weekend every two months. So each of us end up taking about five to six um, uh, weekends uh, primary call, which is, not bad and um we, we we do have some weekday calls that uh, cold call days that are still not too bad it runs up to um once every one or two weeks um so um i would say that the primary call is actually not heavy and uh whenever we have a primary uh some People have to uh, take a backup call, in which case um, you're not primarily responsible for consults or pages, um, but you're just available mostly uh, to cover cases that may run late. So it's mostly operative. So um, I think it's a good experience because we still get... um, to make decisions and uh, see a few patients, and uh, you know, um, get that part covered. But it's not overwhelming, and we have a big pool of uh, fellows. And uh, it's very easy if you have something planned to find a weekend or some find somebody to cover you, and um, uh, basically um, make your own schedule. That's great, Doctor. You can you talk about the split of time between clinic and OR
0: during the fellowship?
1: Um, Sure. So the fellowship is like what Stefano said, it's nine people. Um, The nine fellows are split into two teams, uh, usually red team and blue team. One team will have five people, one team with four. And um, the year is actually split into quarters. So for the first quarter uh, of the year, July, August, September, um, let's say the red team will be on a schedule where they have operative days on Monday, Wednesday, and every other Friday. Um, And those are the days that team is expected to cover the existing free flaps on those days. Um, And while the red team is in the operating room, the blue team would then be the clinic team or the clinical specialist team where you would be operating on non-flap cases. Um, And so the blue team ORs on that first quarter would be Tuesday, Thursday, and then every other Friday. Uh, for the operating room. This whole schedule switches uh, by the second quarter of the year starting in October um, and and then repeats again switching back uh, for the third quarter and then again in the fourth quarter and in this manner we uh, interact actually with all the faculty um, in our very large department both in the clinic and in the operating room Um, certainly Uh, best laid plans are subject to change, as everybody knows, in surgery. And so, uh, in particular, the clinic team is obviously um, primarily dedicated to clinic, but it's not infrequent that the operating room will have more than the designated four or five free flaps per day. And let's say there's six free flaps, then those additional flaps get overflowed and fellows are pulled from clinic. Um, Additionally, also as a clinical specialist, um, those clinic days are the days that you optimize booking your clinical specialist cases where you operate independently. Um, So while it's nine fellows and it seems like a very complex schedule, um, I think that once everyone gets into the swing of things, um, you really see that this was uh, thought of very carefully and it really does help optimize your experience within the clinic and seeing you know, the lymphedema consults or how the limb measurements are done or how the different attendings approach counseling difficult reconstructive problems uh, balanced out against uh, following those patients through to the operating room.
0: Thank you. Now, moving on to research, Dr. Bukovales, can you share with us the research opportunities that fellows have during the fellowship?
2: Absolutely. Um, first of all, I will say that um, this program is a—it's a very academic program. Even though it's very busy and heavy clinically, it also provides amazing opportunities for research and academic development. Even in that limited one year of fellowship, um, I will um, mention that as part of the curriculum. Uh, Every fellow is expected to complete one project by the end of fellowship and faculty provide several topics and the fellows will just pick based on their interests and uh, uh, their level of familiarity with certain topics. Um, And beyond that, of course, um, there are absolutely endless opportunities. We have a a statistician um, who helps a lot with uh, statistical analysis, uh, especially for more complex uh, projects. Um, She also provides weekly, uh, monthly, I'm sorry, monthly um, lectures on biostatistics. So um, this is actually very helpful because even if, Somebody was not familiar or never took any formal uh, training biostatistics or, or was not um, exposed to that um, these were these are very very educational um, only refer to the fellows and you have the opportunity to ask questions It's very interactive and uh, I took advantage of it for sure and uh, I thought it was very helpful um, additionally, I will make a comment on the number and the size of the databases that MD Anderson has. Um, this is the one of the biggest referral centers probably in the world for many uh, cancers and pathologies and uh, really the volume uh, among the surgeons in the department, but also in all the uh, um, combined cases with other departments uh, create an amazing environment in terms of uh, patient um, um, patient uh, volume and case volume, and uh, actually uh, even rare diseases um, have um, really like unusually high number of cases um, because um, exactly because I'm the Erasmus referral center. So um, this kind of allows to put together. Um, more rare studies on topics that people might be interested in um, and allow you to present data that it's difficult to find elsewhere. Um, and of course, as both me and Jesse probably already alluded to, we, it's, a, it's a busy fellowship. I mean, we picked to do a microsurgical fellowship because we want to uh, develop, obviously, our skills and um, take the microsurgical experience to the next level. However, especially for people that are um, geared towards a more academic trajectory and have interest in that, uh, there is a lot of support, and uh, many faculty are performing primary research. And for instance, I ended up submitting a total of six manuscripts at the end of the fellowship. Um, so I really cherished the opportunity to uh, get involved and. Uh, actually even start some of my own ideas, and people were very skeptical and supportive. It's
0: awesome to see that you can be that productive in research despite being busy clinically. Dr. You. in addition to research, are there any opportunities for the fellow outside the clinic and the OR?
1: I think, you know, one, um, one of our best uh, opportunities within the fellowship is the chance to go to the ASRM meeting every year. Um, the department very generously actually sponsors um, each fellow to go to the meeting, whether you're presenting or not. Um, And that's a great networking opportunity for um, looking onto the future next steps, as well as getting to see um, active research that's being presented in our field, um, and to go somewhere fun with the rest of the fellows. Um, I would say that also, in addition, uh, within plastic surgery and um, Houston at large, we are in the Texas Medical Center, um, one of the biggest conglomerates of uh, hospitals in the nation. So um, within that context, the Houston Society of Plastic Surgeons uh, usually has a monthly meeting that dovetails into our Friday academic uh, meetings, and we've had the opportunity to attend uh, those Thursday night dinners with a lecture um, from the visiting professors, and then seen them again on Friday morning in order to um, further discuss other areas of their research. And this year, we uh, were able to hear wonderful lectures from um, people like Dr. Rorick, Dr. Snyder Warwick, and Dr. Nahabidian. um And then finally, the within our Uh, own fellowship program. Um, There are opportunities to develop additional uh, mentorship relationships with our faculty members that I think, you know, it's not necessarily outside of the fellowship, but when you are looking at a variety of uh, people in a department of 22 faculty, um, I think that this is a unique opportunity to pick everybody's brain and for any case that's coming up, um, you can probably ask five people and hear five different ways that they would approach the same problem. Um, so I think that that is, um, in addition to the operative opportunities, um, one of the most valuable things that I've taken away from this year.
0: Awesome. After we discussed the volume and diversity of cases, research, and other opportunities, I would like to ask both of our guests about the things that could be improved in this fellowship. And I would like to start with Dr. Bukavalis.
2: That's a good question, um, and I think that's a very valid question. Um, there are always things to improve, I guess, wherever, um, wherever you train or you practice. I think that the fact that um, this is a fellow-run program um, obviously comes with um, a lot of work, and um, we, we, we cover a um, significant amount of inpatient care However, we're not primary team for most of the cases. So it's actually not, um, it's not overwhelming at any point, but um, I think that the fact that uh, fellows had given that feedback to the um, Dr. Hanasono and the rest of the faculty Um, the last two years only um, they have hired three inpatient nurse practitioners and we have residents participating. So um, actually they have already uh, relieved some of that uh, burden so they can give us the opportunity to focus even more on either seeing patients, new patients in clinic, in the operating room um, or pursuing academic endeavor. So um, that shows that this program and uh, the administration and the faculty um, are very receptive um, to feedback and changes. And of course, on the other hand, being a fellow run program, that means that obviously um, you know, the training is completely tailored and focused on the fellows so um, yes it comes with obviously um, a lot of work in terms of taking care of the patient assuming responsibility which is i think also important actually because um, it's the last time that you will basically have to make decisions about everything and we have a lot of autonomy and responsibility in terms of plan uh, making um, but also comes with the privileges of uh, having the entire attention of uh, faculty in the operating room in terms of uh, teaching. Awesome, Doctor, You do you have any thoughts about things that could improve in the fellowship?
1: I would agree with Stephanos in that, you know, this is a busy fellowship. Um, it definitely uh, forces you into the mindset of taking on each patient as if you are the attending. Um, but I, to me, that's what fellowship is training you for. Um, I would also agree that when the inpatient uh, service load became busy, as the year went on, I learned of um, all the support staff that's available to us um, on the inpatient side to help uh, that I may not have taken advantage of formally or um, known to seek out in the beginning of the year. Um, But in working closely with our nurse practitioners and PAs, um, I would say that We are very busy, but we're very supported. And this is probably one of the most resource-rich plastic surgery departments in the nation as well. And um, whenever there is an area that looks like um, either there needs to be more support or improvement, I think that the departments worked hard to fill that in for us.
0: Perfect. Now moving on to our final question. Can you share with us the best experience you had during your MD Anderson fellowship?
2: Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, I'll try to keep it short, uh, but I will say that definitely, the, for me, the complexity and variety of cases was absolutely an incredible experience. Um, early on, uh, I felt very comfortable operating in every part and cavity of the human body. And um, I learned a lot in terms of think, thinking outside the box Um, because many times we get to see patients that either had multiple failed reconstructions elsewhere um, or were seen in other institutions um, and were told that their tumors were inoperable or unresectable. And uh, it's nice to be part of a team that um, will Sometimes find a way to make the impossible possible, uh, which usually relates to translates to uh, long operations and uh, um, a very lot of hard work. And uh, but this provides also uh, uh, the opportunity to see um, and participate in procedures that I, I think it's very hard to find elsewhere. And I will say that once you become part of the MD Anderson family, um, you really feel that you're part of that big network. And I really have the feeling that I'm part of, there is the MD Anderson family and uh, uh, we're part of that legacy, which is uh, uh, a really incredible feeling. And uh, you know, every time you go at the conference or you see a visiting professor, um, you realize how many people have come through MD Anderson. And this is a very unique feeling and uh, experience.
0: Great, Dr. Yu, can you share the best thing that you have during your MD Anderson experience?
1: Sure, I also try to keep it short. Um, and there are so many things that I'm grateful for this year. Um, similar to Stephanos, I feel that you know the, the surgical legacy that we inherit leaving this program is phenomenal. And you can feel that in the day-to-day and how the hospital runs and how our department functions, uh, providing reconstruction for, you know, the most complicated patients that are out there who, like what Stefano said, would likely be denied in a lot of other places for reconstruction. Um, But also to work with diverse faculty, you know, when, in what other department would you have the opportunity to have 22 mentors, um, all sort of standing behind you and um, being able to learn pearls from everybody who uh, is a part of this department and apply that in thinking about my future career um, was probably one of the strongest things. And then um, the additional factor is that, you know, we're a fellowship of nine people, but Dr. Hanasono performed some kind of magic with the fellowship selection process. And by the end of the year, I would say that we all felt like we were all family. And getting to work with all eight of the other co-fellows, whether that's doing a free flap together or uh, struggling through or um, doing additional clinical specialist cases, um, being in clinic, supporting each other, um, I think, you know, that's a network of um, friendship that is difficult to find in uh, other fellowship programs. Um, And I really appreciated my co-fellows and my mentors that I've found this year in helping me become a more well-rounded plastic surgeon.
2: I couldn't agree more with uh, with Jesse. And um, I will also uh, want to take the opportunity to say that it's a big program with 22 faculty. And when you interview, I think that many of the applicants will ask, is it too big? Am I going to be able to build relationships with uh, with the faculty or do I end up operating once or twice? Well, I will reassure you that exactly because um, you spend different amount of time with its faculty uh, because of the case type and their expertise and also because of its fellows' interests. Um, I finished this fellowship and I had I feel like I have at least three or four mentors uh, that I think that I'm going to, uh, I, I value them very much. And I feel very close to the point that I think they're going to be lifelong mentors. And uh, that's a lot for one year of, of training. And I will agree uh, the relationships that we develop between us uh, for the relatively short amount of time of that fellowship, was uh, really a testimony of how, how close we came and these are going to be friendships that will last forever. Awesome, that brings us to the end of our discussion.
0: Dr. Yu and Dr. Bukovalis, would you like to share any final message with future applicants?
1: Good luck to everybody. Um, I think this is your last match and your last graduation for most. Um, and choosing a fellowship where you feel at home, um, but also feel will push you to become you know, the best version of yourself is very important. So good luck, I hope that we were able to provide some helpful information to shed a little light on our fellowship and our year long experience here at MD Anderson. I also hope that we've uh, enticed you a bit to look into our fellowship program.
2: I agree with Jesse. Good luck in the fellowship application. Uh, This is definitely a place for uh, team players, hard workers who strive for excellence. Um, MD Anderson will teach you how to think outside the box and will never feel that something is impossible Um, and definitely provides all the uh, equipment and um, and the skills to pursue or reinforce your academic endeavors. So uh, if these are the things you're looking for, then MD Anderson is the right place for you. And uh, the MD Anderson family will welcome everybody who um, has these values and, uh, these goals. So good luck to everybody. And please feel free to reach out to us as well for further questions. Yes, for sure. That's
0: going to wrap up our discussion for today's episode. I would like to thank Dr. Yu and Dr. Bokovalis for joining us today. If you like this podcast, tell your colleagues about it, subscribe, rate us and review us on the Apple podcast. You can send your thoughts to M-A-S-A-A-D at mdanderson.org. Thank you everyone for listening. I'm Malka Asad and this is the MD Anderson Plastic Surgery Podcast.